0: Good morning, Grace Point. We are so thrilled that you're here with us today, especially if you're joining us for the very first time. Wherever you are in the world, whenever you're watching this, we are so glad you're here. Today, um, I'm quite a bit excited because we're starting a new series, and that's a thing that excites me. Um, And we're starting a new series to talk about our values as a community, about who we are um, and how those values um, shape the way we live together. And we're calling the series Let Us Be. Um, and I want to begin today, before we jump into our values, I want to begin today just sort of laying the, the, the groundwork and the framework for where we're going to go. Before we do that, just a couple things I wanted to mention. This series will take us up to the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And there's a couple of weeks. I mean, I'm looking forward to every week. There's a couple of weeks I'm really looking forward to. The first is on November 8th. Our very very own Corey Dandridge will be uh, joining me, and he and I will be doing a conversation about uh, honesty and authenticity and being, being true to who, who you are. Um, and then on the 22nd of November, as we wrap this series up, the final Sunday right before Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about our gratitude, about uh, our value of gratitude, and we're going to be joined that week by Diana Butler-Bass. Many of you know who Diana is. She's a friend of Grace Point. She's a church historian. She's a scholar. She's a, an amazing preacher, and she has an incredible book on gratitude um, that I would highly recommend if you haven't picked it up and read it yet, uh, but she'll be joining us on the 22nd to wrap our series up by talking about Gratitude. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to where we're headed the next few weeks. Um, But today, I think uh, I should tell you, I'm actually pulling um, a bit of double duty today because I'm here right now. Well, this is actually Thursday morning when I'm recording this, but we're here together right now. And uh, I'm also preaching this morning at a friend's ordination service. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that word as I've been preparing to, to speak at that today. Um, and the word ordination, it's an interesting word. It, it sounds like it, it might even be a bit painful, right? Like, like being ordained might involve getting beat over the head or something. Like, what happened to Sherry? Oh, you didn't hear she got ordained. Um, etymologically, like where the word comes from, it, it comes from the word ordinance, which means to set in order. Um, We hear the word ordinance when we're talking about like city laws and those sort of things. There's an ordinance that says this, right? So it means, but it means to set an order. And in some ways, that's exactly what my own ordination experience was about. I'm trying to remember what year. It was like 2001, 2002 when I went through the process um, in the, the Baptist church I grew up in. And that's exactly what my ordination was about, being set in order. Uh, I was given a book in preparation about what Baptists believe, what their doctrines are. And I essentially memorized that book. And then on a Sunday evening, I ended up on stage uh, on this church, uh, on the platform with the pastor. And he asked me a bunch of questions based on the book. And I just regurgitated the answers I'd memorized. And then there was a process after that, where all the ordained men, not only in the ch- men, of course, right, only men, uh, all the ordained men in the church, like, Um, deacons and pastor, but not only them, the entire, anybody in our Baptist association in our county, pastors and deacons who were ordained were invited to come to this, listen to my answers, and we were the biggest association in the state, so no pressure. Listen to my answers, go down into the church basement, and and then deliberate about my answers. Were my responses set in order? Was I orthodox? Uh, Did I reflect a satisfactory understanding of our church doctrine? Were my beliefs the right ones? I I think we all know that I would fail that today. I think most of us, probably all of us would fail that today. And I'm also not doing that to my friend this morning. But thinking back to that moment, sitting on that stage, answering those questions, I wonder if somebody who, you know, whether it's a visitor from another planet or somebody who'd never heard of, of religion or Christianity or the ordination process, if there was just somebody who was a sort of blank slate when it comes to this, if they were just to observe that process, maybe even call it a ritual for the very first time, I wonder what they would take away from it. I wonder what they would think was happening. What would they, if you were to stop them sort of exit polling them and say, what do you think the purpose of what just happened? What do you think the purpose of faith might be if they had no other information i imagine that they would think that being a christian pastor was probably about having the right beliefs being able to articulate those beliefs and maybe judging and evaluating the, the way others hold and articulate their beliefs evaluating everybody's opinion around you and in your community for for heresy and to be fair this is kind of how a lot of pastors end up approaching their work right they're the holder of truth they're the holder of orthodoxy and it is their job then to make sure that their community stays orthodox. And sometimes that shoe gets reversed. The pastor starts to sort of go outside, color outside the lines a bit. And then the community it gets gets frustrated and there can be a lot of problems with that. But it's sort of this idea that the process, maybe the point is to have the right beliefs to be able to articulate them and to be able to hold a color, others accountable to them. I mean, this is a belief, I would call it a belief-centered approach. To the christian faith and this belief-centered approach to faith is what has led to inquisitions and all of the atrocities that we've seen in church history where one group of people believed and this started way back this started as soon as when you can make the case that this started in the 300s when constantine began meddling and trying to um the, the emperor the roman emperor trying to resolve debates within the church right that suddenly you had people who disagreed and there were a couple ways you could argue about it or you could kill the people who disagreed with you and unfortunately in christian history our ancestors did both and this belief centered approach not only is it the thing that led us has led us to so many atrocities but it it sort of assumes that the most important thing to god the most important thing the thing god cares about more than anything at all is what's happening inside our brains what is going on between our ears and when i want to say I, as a disclaimer, I know that finding congruency and connection between your head and your heart is a vital part of the transformation process. I agree. I had to have that for myself. And that has been part of my process, um, especially for those of us who have left a toxic belief system, being able to process that and, and reframe it and re- reclaim and reimagine. But the primary task of the spiritual life, ultimately, at the end of the, day, the spiritual life, isn't just about memorizing doctrines that will give us a better, more optimal afterlife experience, sort of a first-class afterlife experience, the primary task of the spiritual life is opening ourselves up to the journey of transformation. Like At the end of the day, the point isn't to have the right doctrines or beliefs. At the end of the day, the point is to be a certain kind of person in the world. And and I think we can actually say, if we just end up having the right beliefs, which nobody does because nobody knows what those are, if it just ends up us having what we think are the right beliefs, that, that ultimately can set us up to be the kinds of people we don't want to be, which is this hyper-critical, hyper-judgmental, hyper-focused on our own rightness and inness and acceptedness and everybody else who disagrees with us, outness and rejectedness. The primary task of the spiritual life is opening ourselves up to the journey of transformation. Now, part of this is about our beliefs, because our beliefs do inform our actions, or they should. They inform how we engage the world. I love sort of the image Jesus gives, and as somebody who's been called a false prophet more than once, I take a lot of uh, comfort in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus essentially says, here's, you, you have to watch out for false prophets, and here's how you'll know that they may come dressed as sheep, but inside they're vicious as wolves. But Jesus says this You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds, or do they get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit and every rotten tree produces rotten fruit. And at the end, he goes on to say a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Jesus actually makes the argument that regardless of how orthodox someone may appear, regardless of how easy they can recite the doctrine that ultimately what matters is what they're doing in the world. Because you can hold on. I love what Marcus Borg uh, has said. You, You can have all the right beliefs and still be miserable. You can have all the right beliefs and still be unchanged. This makes sense, right? Good trees, trees that are growing and alive and vital, they produce good fruit. And trees that aren't produce rotten fruit. A person can seem spiritual and holy and still produce rotten fruit. A person can seem spiritual and holy and still gather thousands upon thousands of people in close quarters with no masks during a global pandemic to worship God in some sort of showy act that makes them look spiritual and everybody else look like they're not. A person can use all the right language and verbiage or none of the right language and ver- verbiage, but when you move beyond the surface, it's like, it's like taking a bite out of wax fruit, right? you, have, you expect one thing and you get another com- a completely different experience. I think that neither God talk nor orthodoxy are the ultimate indicators of who we are. You, you can wear all the Jesus t-shirts. You can wear all the, when I was growing up, WWJD bracelets. You, you can wear all of the, the the Christian attire. You can listen to all the Christian music. You can do all the, you you can only drink and eat things that have Christian on the label, right? You can do all of those things. And it doesn't mean you're ultimately going to bear good fruit. I love um, one of my favorite texts is in Galatians five, where Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit. I think it's interesting that fruit here is it, Paul doesn't use it in the plural. He uses it in the singular, the fruit of the spirit, the thing the spirit produces in our lives. The, the, the work of the spirit is to churn up and provide nutrients for this thing, this kind of life. And here's what he says in Galatians five. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love this line. Against these things, there is no law, right? Like there's no law against this kind of goodness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It isn't a buffet where we're being invited to go pick the one we want to work on today. Paul says that as you're engaged in the spiritual journey, as the spirit works in us, these things begin to be produced in us. So in this sense, the, the goal of the spiritual life when we talk about let us be, Let us become certain kinds of human beings in the world. The goal of spiritual life or the path of transformation, whatever you want to call it, is not believing. The goal is being. It's being, not believing. It is an invitation to move beyond the surface, to move beneath the surface, into the depths, into the rootedness, into the connection um, between our beliefs and our actions and, and how we actually seek to implement the things we hold true, the, the, our beliefs and our values in the world. And, and ultimately, I think believing as a just sort of an idea happens at the surface, le- surface level. I think being, like being in the world, a certain kind of person, it, it happens at a level of internalizing and then externalizing, about taking some things in and then living them out. It, it's why some Christians just love for anyone, anyone with any amount of societal clout, to say the word Christian or to seem to affirm some sort of Christian belief or to throw out a Bible verse or to say something that sounds quasi bible um, So maybe it's the football coach who wins the national championship and he gives all credit to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ or it's some celebrity at an award show thanking God for the award or it's a politician who uses tear gas on peaceful protesters who are asking for justice in the application of laws and policing and instead, he uses tear gas on them so he can make a journey to a church he doesn't go to to hold a Bible up in a very strange way. And somebody, some folks will just eat that up because it seems like it has sort of, it smacks of religiosity. It smacks of, well, look, that's a Bible. That's a Christian thing to do. Everything Christian isn't jesus Everything that carries a label of Christian, sometimes the Crusades carried a label of Christian. Right? It was Christian soldiers going out and taking the land back for God. Having the Christian label doesn't make it Jesus-y. It doesn't mean it's congruent with the way of Jesus in the world. It actually may mean sometimes that it's not. And us having an openness and awareness that, look, look we don't want to just stay at the surface where we just look for Christian-y things. We want to move beneath the surface. Because ultimately, sometimes, I think, What ends up happening is we we get so stuck on the label and the surface level. And then when we actually try to engage, what we find out is that the fruit we thought was good fruit is actually waxy or rotten, and it leaves a bad taste in our mouths. And I've been seeing this happen as people are engaging. We're in this current conflicted election season in our country, and Christians are popping up all over the place. And what I've noticed is that some folks were looking for engagement, some folks who don't carry the the Christian label. We're looking for engagement, and what they got was judgment, and what they got was hatefulness, and what they got was a person advocating values that when they sort of understand the life of Jesus, and then you go to this, like, it just doesn't, it just can't add up. The the truth is, being, embodying our beliefs in a way that moves us beneath the surface often isn't showy or flashy. It it often happens under the radar with very little fanfare. It, it happens in the everyday decisions to love and serve, to show compassion and to extend empathy, to be generous and to pursue justice. And so all of that stuff is not often it's not as sexy as a big, massive rally with the hundreds of thousands of people or 50,000 people or whatever. But what it ultimately is, is the way the world gets transformed. In the everyday, non-showy, non-flashy, simple and small, kind and generous ways we live in the world. to to just put it simply, being is greater than believing. Being is about developing habits. It's about developing a rhythm. It's about maybe developing almost the kind of reflex. I don't know. When you think about like, we have these reflexes that sometimes you you drop something and you catch it on the way down and you didn't even like, it's just a reflex. What what if we were to become the kinds of people for whom love was a reflex? Not, Not something we had to really concentrate on, but something that, Just because we've done the work, because we've been engaged in what's going on in in the root system beneath the surface, we now can begin to embody this sort of thing. Are we going to get it perfect every time? Of course not. Are we ever going to make mistakes? Probably lots of the time. But what if we were to do that work so that love and justice and kindness and the good things we want to see embodied compassion in the world became more reflexive for us? What if we could actually embody the goodness of the values we hold, not just believe it. We can actually begin to live it out in really practical ways. So before we wrap up today, I want to just give you a sneak peek at where we're going over the next several weeks. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up first uh, next week. Now uh, we're going to talk about what it means to embody love. What does it mean to be love specifically in the world we live in right now, where it seems like love at some sort of any kind of concrete level is We're so divided. We're so angry. We're so fractured. What does it look like to hold love as a value to believe that love can change the world and then to embody that belief in the way we seek to go about loving ourselves, loving our neighbors and loving, um, loving God. What does that ultimately look like? Then we're going to talk about embodying and being courageous. Um, What is, what does courage look like in the world we live in today? We're going to talk about curiosity. What does it mean to be a curious person? Because for so many of us, um, re, re, our religious upbringing was like anti-curiosity. It was don't ask the questions, don't, don't, don't prod, don't go any further because you might find out something that wrecks your faith, right? Don't take that class in college because it'll wreck your faith. And um, sort of where I landed up is it landed is that if something can wreck your faith, go for it because it means your faith ultimately probably isn't serving you very well. Then we're going to talk about on the uh, 8th of November being honest and authentic, With I'm going to have Corey with me for that excuse me, November 15th, we're going to talk about humility, being a humble, embodying humility. And that's often, we talked about this a little bit earlier this year, but we're going to come back to it as one of our values because the idea that humility means having a low sense of self and a low sense of value of who we are. That's just destructive. And we want to really, really think about that. And then finally we'll end with being grateful embodying gratitude with Diana Butler Bass. And I'm so excited about all of these weeks and what it will mean for our community. To to really not only reflect on our values, but to think together about how we're going to embody them as we move forward. And so each week we'll take, we'll, we'll explore what this value means, what it looks like to begin to internalize it, and then what it looks like to externalize it in the world around us. Because believing is greater, nope, sorry, being is greater than believing. Embodying is greater than just holding some abstract beliefs. Putting hands and feet into the world is better than intellectual assent to a few doctrinal categories that don't really impact our lives in any significant way. Ultimately, believing does not change the world, at least not for the better. But being, that can change